fellow Braptonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheel adventure is the man we call the Shaw of Braps, Mr. Shaheen Ovandi! Ever, ever, ever what? What's up, sir? What's up, dude? How you doing? I'm sitting in a weird spot. I'm having to like... This is so so I, awkward. This is weird. I'm, you're like directly to my left now because some stranger danger is taking my spot. Stranger danger. Uh, we're Patricia Fernandez on the show. Oh, Patricia Fernandez uh, on the show today to show tell us all about her writing, her poor decisions in mates, and, you know, her favorite dog. Before we bring it out, though, I guess we'll we'll fluff it with uh, Corey West. Corey West on the show today. Well, live. To, you are our first guest. Like it is about damn time. <laughs> it only took like how many tries? We've been it's trying. Like you've had me on the show like three times, and now I'm actually here. I think here I, you are. I crashed the party. You did. <laughs> Crack Corey, the code. Corey just showed up to the shop today. Like, hey man, help. He sent me a text message. He's like, hey Corey and Patricia are here. We should have them on the show. I'm like, that's that's. He's just trolling us. It's gonna be like Andy <laughs> DeBrino showing up because they both have that. <laughs> dead caterpillar on their lip thing going on <laughs> actually Corey's looks nice he's got it shaped andy debrino's is like creeping down to his like oh, so adam's gross. apple it's so gross i hope he keeps it for years uh, he's never what if that ends up being his like lucky mustache i mean cory has got a good reason for the mustache it's because he's doing nascar on two wheels what's andy's deal he lives in twalton <laughs> <laughs> that's an oregon joke for y'all <laughs> well i've seen you've had me on the show a couple of times but i was like mowing my yard while i was listening to that show and i was like i am i'm not on this show how can i be on the show i'm mowing my yard <laughs> right I now call in? sometimes Corey, you do things and your brain just and then i had to out. listen i had to listen to the whole show i was like am i really gonna be on this show <laughs> at the end maybe just well, my name we're excited to talk to patricia later yeah i've been looking forward to that all day me too um she's a very nice lady she's stoked dynamic yeah that would be the word I would use. She's very dynamic. Dynamic. She's talented. She's, Ulster uh, Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, beat you in Super Hooligan and uh, Baggers. That's well, my bagger didn't run. <laughs> That's racing, Corey. And I spotted her fifty horsepower in the Super Hooligan race, but Whoa. she did beat me. She shut me down. Beat the shit out of you later. She <laughs> shut me down. <laughs> I met her in person. She's buff as fuck. I wouldn't mess with her. <laughs> For our our listeners that don't know your resume, give us a quick overview on the life of Corey west oh man we were talking before the show you were in spain you've raced all these different series on a bunch of different bikes i was just remembering you've raced pikes peak i've done a lot you've yeah. done a lot um so i'm a fourth generation motorcyclist my great grandfather had a harley triumph and schwinn dealer in fort smith arkansas in the 40s wow. and then i've got a hit one of his sons is in the ama hall of fame uh kind of rewrote the off-road scene with the lightweight two strokes everyone was doing the big four-stroke british stuff and then he came along won the jack pine enduro on a harley 165 cool and his brother was a road racer flat tracker rode for bsa and yamaha and stuff and then my dad was a racer and now i'm a racer too i've been doing it for like 20 years now and started off as a flat tracker then went road racing as soon as i was 16 um I've raced in the States, I've raced in England, China, Spain, Canada, and Mexico. Yeah. What would be like your, your top three memories throughout your racing career or, or things that you've done? What do you, what do you hang your mantle on? Um, almost winning the Daytona 200 three times. <laughs> 
<laughs> Pikes Peak was super cool just because that's a crazy experience. And then um, racing overseas. I mean, I went over to China and kicked those guys' ass. That was pretty fun. What, what race <laughs> but, was that? Uh, it was like the Chinese Superbike Championship at Zhuhai Circuit. Hmm. And um, I guess they used to run World Endurance over there. So I got to fly over, do that deal, put it on pole, broke the track record, won both superbike races. It was like, dang, all right, don't need to come back here. <laughs> and now the Chinese don't allow them in anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, like, it was, it actually was no redheaded person's allowed in China anymore, allegedly. It's the ginger. It's the ginger. It's, it's a different thing over there. If you have a motorcycle license and you're a ginger, Corey fucked it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> you have a, you have a lap record here in uh, Portland too, I think. Uh, I was trying to look it up, and of course, our oh, there's the website. Yeah, I don't know if I have a lap record, but you do. Open Twins, oh, 2013 really? on uh, on an EBR. How fast was it? 107. That's not that's not slow. Dang, yeah, that's, dog. That's not slow. That's that was in 2013 slow. too. Think yeah. of how far technology's come, especially on that bike. Yeah, especially throttle, on that throttle bike. cable bike. I bet you could do <laughs> a 107 again on that bike, the newest version. <laughs> the newest version, because it's the same <laughs> it's bike, the same goddamn bike. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Okay. No, now it's a Buell. They probably added at least a tenth of a second to that. I thought I did 107s here. That's 107 pretty impressive. Nine. I mean, it's really yeah. a 108. Well, I'm let's, not supposed to be fair. I mean, but, you know, if you're a 107 999, it's still a 107. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't take that away from you, Corey. <laughs> the stickler Thanks. for facts over here is all about rounding up sometimes. <laughs> I had my surgery Friday, so this is the first day I've actually not been high on as a kite. But the lady's like doing my vitals and all that stuff. She's like, okay, so you're like uh, 230 pounds, like 225. <laughs> yeah, I lost some weight. I've been working out. Listen here. And we have you down as uh, six one, six one and a half. Ah, uh, six two. Six two. Give me that extra half inch. Get your facts straight, lady. Every uh, half inch counts. Six one and a half rounds up to six two. Exactly. So, so 107.9 is basically 108. Basically 108. Mm. You're running 108. That's mm. all right. That's pretty good. <laughs> this right. was a round down in racing, though. Yeah. Make it sound better. It's like golf. The less the number, the better. Tell me about racing Pikes Peak, because that's kind of something that's in the news this week, obviously, now that we know that. We'll never get to not, go back. Yeah. Well, I mean, never say never, but in the foreseeable future, obviously. Um. So one of the guys I used to work with at EBR um ended up working at zero and zero came out with the srf and they wanted to go racing i did some stuff with him at ebr and then when they contacted me asked if i wanted to do pike's peak i was like yeah that's definitely on the bucket list let's make that happen and i didn't know what to expect i've never ridden electrics up until that point so uh it was a cool deal um they flew me out to do a couple tests and Paid me decent money, but I would do it again just because of the experience is so cool. I mean, some of the coolest sunrises I've ever seen were up on that mountain mm. early, early in the morning. Some of the coldest sunrises I've ever seen were up on that mountain. <laughs> when you go top, uh, to the top and test that top section, it is like wind of like 40 miles an hour and it's like freezing up there. You know? So it was super crazy, but I was scared. I'm not going to lie. Like, I went to Colorado thinking I was going to have this little trip because it was like half a month, you know, and Zero rented a house and brought my mountain bike and my 450L and all this stuff. And then we went and did the test, which is like middle of the month. 
and the race is at the end of the month and uh i got a little taste of the mountain i was like oh my god oh god this i is can't so imagine <laughs> what's what's the hardest thing to approach in a race like that um just knowing where you're going i mean learning the course yeah it's not a lap you know it's and on top of it not being a lap it's a it's 12 and a half miles you know 156 turns or whatever so you basically have to memorize five racetracks just to feel comfortable to charge it all at speed and um how many runs do you get to have before you feel comfortable or is there a finite amount of runs that they let you have or can you just keep going over and over again it kind of depends on how many people are there and how many yeah how many people are there how many times they can get through it before they open the road back up to the public because the road opens at 8 a.m for the public oh well so you get up there like four in the morning before the sun's up and everyone's on tire warmers just kind of waiting and then as soon as the sun kind of starts cresting it's like all right fire them up here we go and uh they just send them out like 30 seconds at a time and so you'll run like the bottom section one day and then you'll run the middle section the next and the top section once and then they'll do a fourth day of practice and it's just kind of a draw out of the hat which section the cars or the bikes get so we did bottom middle top and then back to the middle for our last day of practice and uh every day after the test i went back up that mountain for at least two or three hours and just rode little sections of it at a time with a gopro and and then i come back to the house and i'd watch it on tv and i had a track map with me and i would just like because you're constantly looking for references you know visual references to give you an idea of what's coming next yeah because a lot of the corners look the same until you get past tree line or whatever and then then you're doing all the switchbacks and then you get to the top top and then it's just like it's all crazy but if you know where you're going it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable do you have to approach that race weekend differently because of the constraints of doing a third of the course at a time and because it's a road course and all these other things or is it kind of the same as like say like doing the daytona 200 you sit down and you go through your your racer process as it were it's a whole lot more like mental visualization because you don't really get a lot of practice and so you know i did each section but you don't get to put the whole mountain together all at once until it counts and so you know you know what you can do in the bottom section and you kind of know what you can do in the middle but then there's little sections in between those sections that you don't get to run because you run up to that point you slow down you turn around and then you wait for everybody else to get up there <laughs> go through that parking lot <laughs> right yeah and so it's like well okay we started what is it uh i can't think of the middle section uh where they stop to check your brakes what's the name of that little Double's section playground well that's the top top that's where the top starts top second starts but um oh it's gonna drive me crazy it's where the little toll booth is yep i know exactly what you're talking about and so there's probably a quarter mile or more from where the bottom section stops in practice till the time you get to that toll booth and so a lot and when you start at the toll booth you're at zero miles per hour pardon me the picnic grounds further up glen cove glen cove glen cove yep and so that's where you're sitting and you're looking at all the switchbacks. It's like wow. you're looking up the mountain because that's where it gets really steep. It's wow. like, okay. 
But from where the bottom section stops in practice and to where the middle section starts, you're running a hundred or more, you know, and then you're at a dead stop at that toll booth. So when you finally get to link those two sections, you got to think like, okay, where am I going to break for the first tight one after the toll booth? Cause I broke here from a dead stop, but I'm going to be running a hundred. So it's little things like that, but the morning leading up to it, you know, so you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they have a party on Friday you have Saturday off and then Sunday's the race or whatever. So you kind of have a day off to like get back on a normal sleeping schedule and then you got to go back to waking up at two in the morning and you go up the mountain and you get there and then it's just like you don't get a warm up like you would at a normal race. You know, you have your morning warm up practice or whatever. You're just like, okay, I haven't ridden since Thursday. Let me just close my eyes and try to do a run in my head. And I think I ended up doing like eight runs in my head before it was time to, all right, you're up. <laughs> So, it's a little little different in that aspect. What was was there a correlation between the eight runs in your head and the actual one you finally got to do? Did it feel familiar when you finally got to go on the on the course? Yeah, I kind of started using my phone in the lap timer, and just like, okay, ready, go, and I'd lap time it, start the timer, go through it in my head, and then when I get to the top, hit the button and look at the clock, and I was like. I think I got a pretty good run coming here. Like, <laughs> Man. And was it? It was uh, like a 1048 or something like that. So That's all right. Was, yeah, it was under 11 minutes. Um, the unfortunate thing with electrics, you know, everyone's like, well, that thing's perfect. It's not naturally aspirated. You know, it's going to rip the whole time. But those things get hot. That's just like the downside of electrics. Especially that generation. Yeah. I mean, it's not, a, it's an air-cooled motor yeah. and they have it all hidden up under the motorcycle. Yeah. So, it doesn't get a lot of air. There's not a lot of air up there anyway. Yeah. That generation zero had a lot of problems with, even on the highway, they started overheating. Yeah. So, and we learned that early, uh, taking it to the racetrack and me flogging it. So, it's, it ran really, really good in the bottom section. And then I got to the middle section and it was doing pretty good. But then that's where all the tight switchbacks are. So you go from wide open throttle to no throttle and then right back to wide open throttle to no throttle. So the controller got hot first Hmm. and that's what runs the battery juice to the motor. And then, I mean, I was literally like yelling at the motorcycle, like, come on, let's go. I, I couldn't get out of the corners. I was just like, turn the hairpin, pin it, and I'm waiting for this thing to do its thing. Were you running regenerative braking as well, or were you just letting it freewheel? As little as possible. Yeah. Um, We ended up mounting a rear brake handbrake where the clutch would be because it's so much harder to stop those things if they don't have any engine braking. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't efficiently get the bike stopped with a foot brake because you're trying to get the bike in there and you're trying to keep your foot on the brake while you're hanging off and all that stuff, and it just wasn't working, so... So, just put me a handbrake up there and I think it would be way better. So, it was. It helped a whole lot. I could just stay on the rear brake all the way to the apex and even through the apex with the throttle on and then finally let it go. Hmm. But controller got hot through the midsection. Once I finally got to the top, Devil's Playground, it opens up again. The road does. It gets a lot faster. So, the controller cooled off. I went for maybe a mile in the wide open stuff and then the motor got hot. And so... Made it to the top, 1048. I was eight seconds from being rookie of the year. I got beat by a Ducati Street Fighter, but 
there was probably 15, 20 seconds of me cussing at that thing, (laughs) 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 wishing it would go faster like it did in practice. Um, Any interest to like do something like the Isleman TT? Does does the road racing thing have an appeal or is that just like, I'm just stoked I'm not dead? Uh, I'm a little stoked I'm not dead, but Pikes Peak didn't seem as gnarly because it's not fast like a road race, road race. Like on a zero, it's not. I had a decent trap speed. It was like 124 (laughs) mile an hour. It was fast enough. Yeah. But I'm buddies with Peter Hickman. He comes down to the Tex Tornado Boot Camp and like we watch his Isle of Man TT GoPro footage and that shit is nuts. It looks gnarly. I mean. I've watched this footage a bunch of times and I just can't. And he can play the lap and turn around and start talking to people and we're all just like. This is so fast. This is crazy. And you're just watching it, you know, tree tunnel, all that stuff. And then he'll just turn around and he'll catch a glimpse. And he's like, oh, here comes this next right-hander. And you're just like, dude, you weren't even watching. Like, how do you know exactly where you are and you're moving 180 or something? But that's what you got to do. You got to know that place like the back of your hand. So, I've had offers to go over, but it was to race like an EBR there. And uh, my dad... Represent the US of A up there. My dad was like, please don't go. Really? So, everyone else was stoked. And yeah. then my dad was like, please don't go. And I was like, ah. Just out of the danger element or? He knows what's up. Yeah. He's ridden big <laughs> twins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not you, meant to be held wide open for a long, time. You don't see a lot time. of big twins no. at the Alamo. Yeah, you really exactly. don't, do. Yeah. It's a four-cylinder race for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. But, I don't know. I would probably go over there and, and go through the motions. But, like, Patricia does that stuff. And I think you just got to be a little bit crazy. All right, so explain that to me. What's it like as a racer? Now you're engaged to another racer, but watching someone you love like that race something like the Ulster Grand Prix, which is, in my opinion, more bonkers than the Isle of Man TT because the TT is a time trial. Ulster Grand Prix, there's a grid. It's elbow to elbow the whole time. Yeah, and there's no other girls out there, so yeah. she's racing with a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they're Irish and British, so, you know. <laughs> it was it was scary, man. <laughs> I've gone over there twice and watched her, and um, it's terrifying. I'm not going to lie, because the Ulster's like seven miles or something, mm-hmm. and so it's close to four minutes. You know, you, they go by 190 mile an hour. You listen to them, click top gear. Then you can't hear them no more. And then you just sit there and you wait and you pray, mm-hmm. basically. And then a red flag comes out and they're basically supposed to stop when they see a red flag. Like, wherever you're at, woe it down because you might be coming up on the accident. They don't want people coming through there fast. And so, when the red flag comes out, everyone just kind of just gives each other this look like, oh, shit. Is it? And so, you basically just hope and pray that it's not your rider. And then when they release them and they start coming back, you're just kind of waiting to see if your rider is about to come in the pits. And then once I see her, I'm just like, oh, thank God. So, there's that. Um, Yeah, it's it's scary. But I can see the attraction for her because she goes over there and she breaks her own record and it's a big deal. She's the only girl that's done it and Mm -hmm. the highest highs, you know, but sure, it can also bring the lowest lows. So... I always find it weird. I've never gone to the Ulster Grand Prix, but I've done the TT three times, I think. I've done Pikes Peak three times. And it's a surreal... And I've done MotoGP. I've done like dozens of MotoGP races. And that's that's the distinction for me. I go to a MotoGP race. 
I don't really expect anything bad to happen. Exactly. You know, like, I don't, it's it's just another event. It's right. We've got fan things planned. We got interviews. It's just it's another day at the office. For yeah. Me. It's safe. It's safe. Yeah. You go to Pikes Peak. You go to the TT, and I go knowing, statistically speaking, I am going to report on someone dying. Like I just know. Like it's like how many people am I going to have to talk about dying this year? And it's an interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. It's a very different event. Yeah, it was tricky. And like when they bring rookies in, I was a rookie, obviously. And the whole time they're just like, you know, we want you to be as safe as possible. You know, they bring you up that mountain, you go drive it in the car, and then it's up to you to go up there and study it if you want to. But like they're just pushing the rookies like we don't want you to crash. We can't have any fatalities because we want this event to keep going. And then for me, you know, I'm talking, I was teammates with Chris Fillmore in the past. I know Rennie from all over. And then I didn't know Carlin. That was my first time meeting Carlin. And um, I didn't think it would be him mm-hmm. of of all of us up there. You know, he was like, that was his mountain. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just shows you that it could have happened to anybody. I mean, it's you, such a dynamic situation in those, you know, less controlled, you know, quote unquote tracks. It could be anybody. There's, it's so hard. And I mean, I, I agree with Jensen. You know, anytime you cover one of those, you're just like, uh, who is it going to be? And it sucks to have that feeling of it. But at the same time, I think that's, you know, part of the draw for a lot of people that want to, you know, watch it or listen to it or race it even. It's like, man, this is such a, gnarly crazy i've personally never done anything like that the closest thing to that i've done is running with the bulls in pampelona where it's an uncontrolled environment you're like yeah i'm here and shit could go sideways um and it's it's but it makes you feel alive it's the most alive you'll ever feel i think it's the highest of highs like you call it but the lows are the lowest of lows and so it's interesting you know i've never even thought in terms of like having a loved one be there you know like if Anne comes to a track day and if something goes, you know, sideways, she loses her shit, you know, not because she doesn't like, she loves motorcycling. She knows what it's all about, but it's the idea of your loved one being even hurt, you know, yeah. never mind dying, but the actual hurt part of it. Um, so that, that is a, that's a interesting question you ask because it's like, oh man, but like, you know, at the level that you two are, Patricia, and we'll talk to Patricia later on about this too, but she's, she's, um, I think on, on her way, I yeah. think she said she was going to grab go some beers, walk. Yeah. walk the dog and then, and then. Corey, it was great seeing you, yeah. obviously. We'll um, kick you out of that we'll spot. Short, spot. We'll probably edit. I mean, we're like 20 minutes in. We'll probably edit this down to like <laughs> three, four minutes, but it'll, anyways, be, it'll but be like the high points. Don't at, worry. At the level that you two are at, it's such a, you know, you're both very efficient and very fast riders. So, you know, it's, I imagine the two of you push each other to be better and to be safer and to practice and be just at the top of your game. And so that's, that's got to be a very cool dynamic to have. I mean, you and I were talking in the car on the way here uh, about what it's like to be with someone that, gets it yeah and it's nice because i mean i definitely once we started dating and riding around each other more i've been doing a lot longer than she has and i also coach so it's like i have a lot to offer her if she's willing to listen to me which if i was just a friend or joe schmo or whatever she would probably take my advice a little bit easier (laughs) but because we live together she's just kind of like yeah whatever she's gonna do your shit 27 man she sees you naked she's like yeah yeah, but i gotta i I can't take you seriously (laughs) i gotta say those things and then she'll 
slowly think about it and digest it. And then she's like, you know what? You're right. You know, I tried this in that corner and it does help. And Corey says, I'm a trifle deaf in this. Like, can, can you say a little louder? Can you say that again? I do that all the time. <laughs> say that one more time. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Amazing. What are your visual references of the Pike Peak, Pike's Peak? Just rocks and trees? So every mile they have a sign that tells you what mile you're at right. going up the mountain. And so like mile eight, there's a bear. Mile nine, there's a pine cone. <laughs> mile 10, there's a gopher. So there's all these little things. And so, and there's a bunch of turns that have names. And so, but then there'd be like eight corners in between the named ones. <laughs> and so like, I just started naming all the turns. Like I have this you have your own name for I have them? this track map and I had all these little lines connected to all the corners and I had made a little name or something. Or what like if you're bad at names, <laughs> that would be the worst for me. Or well, okay. This, name's, so, this this turn's name is John, or is that Joseph? Fuck. No, like I called one like Lost Hat because when <laughs> I was up there riding one morning, there was a hat in the road. You <laughs> That's know? Great. But That's it's just awesome. like, okay, I remember that one from the hat. This is, here comes the bear turn, and then all right, then the button hook, you know? It's like that's great it's just little <laughs> things that can help you remember and i remember going up because me and Fillmore were teammates like i said and like i went up to him to ask him some questions and i was like what do you do in this section i showed him my map and he's like where'd you get that map can i get a copy of that i was like what are you talking about you have the record here and he's like I, that's a good one <laughs> but awesome. everyone works in a different way clearly let's get let's get into like your coaching background talk to me about Free tips Jensen can get from Corey West on how to beat Brappy little stepsister. <laughs> well, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen you ride. First, you <laughs> should I'm stop pretty, breaking I'm, your I'm, collarbone. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty quick. Just imagine <laughs> someone pretty quick. Uh, like Rennie Skay's book is we're, we're about equal. About equal, me and Rennie. Maybe Troy. Whoa. First of all, Troy weighs <laughs> half as much as you. So he's got way upper hand on you. Also, he's way cuter than you in every way possible. You just You just say very hurtful things. <laughs> Um, but, but like, I'm very curious, like, I mean, I, I'm kind of trying to anchor the show in some of the news that's going on. You know, we're obviously watched Maverick Vinales kind of, I, I think I told someone on our Instagram account today, I'm like, we are watching like a Chernobyl event in real time. Like it is just <laughs> a meltdown happening in front of us. And I don't know, I wouldn't say I know Maverick very well, but like, I know him well enough to be like, yeah, you're kind of a, you kind of have a little oddball little, little thing going on between your ears. Like you're kind of, you're not like andrea Iannone, that's a whole different can of worms <laughs> but there's there's something there's a screw loose somewhere there so talk to me a little bit about like racer mentality the psychology behind the sport coaching that into racers dealing with it yourself as a racer um what's the, what's the x factor here oh man loaded questions i know right drink where your do, beer where <laughs> do i even start in the brap talk we get deep in our rabbit holes i mean racing is basically being comfortable on the bike you know you can't go fast unless you're comfortable so a rider is pretty picky with what they need to to go fast because that's what it takes you need you need to be comfortable be able to trust the motorcycle have a good group of people around you all that jazz and like when i was young i didn't even know you know i was just out there going as fast as i could and um but i was always off a little bit you know and you can blame that on oh well they're factory riders and i'm a privateer or whatever but when you find that group of people and you really start meshing well and you start learning more they start teaching you what you need to go faster 
and learning about the setup and the suspension and all that stuff. Like it's easy as a racer to get too involved and, you know, here, sit down and look at the data. Like I don't want to look at squiggly lines like that. That doesn't help me. But it kind of can because they say, well, okay, see where you're opening the throttle and where you're shutting off the throttle and how you're doing it and stuff like that. It's good to go back and think about that at night, you know, when you're trying to go to sleep or whatever. And what am I going to do the next day to go faster? But yeah, it's all just trying to be comfortable to get the most out of your lap time. But then at some point, you have to break past that being comfortable thing and scare yourself, you know, because that's the only way you can get out of your little comfort zone. You know, you get stuck in this comfort zone. Okay. I'm doing one twenty eights, and I'm stuck at one twenty eights, and I really need a 27 five to get into the fast group or something. And it's like, okay, what you need to do is just go out and outbreak yourself, you know, go into that corner way freaking deeper than you think you can and see if you can make it. If you can't just stand the bike up, run off the racetrack, you know, do what you got to do, but get slowed down as much as you can so that you're not risking crashing. You just like road America is a place you go to road America, long straightaways, heavy braking zones. I've helped a lot of people watching them go down into turn five. That's a the second big straightaway there into a downhill second gear braking zone, really tight left-hander. And so you brake kind of when you crest the hill, but you know, if you're scared of going fast, then you're right there as fast as your bike will go. And you're kind of like, Oh, well there's the hill. Okay. Brake now. And then you're doing all your downshifting you're getting down to the corner and you're like, well, I broke a little early and you kind of release the brake and then you roll in there and now the chassis unloaded and then you got to brake again, but softer and you've really just screwed it all up. And so if you know that you can get it stopped, you just need to go a little deeper and sometimes it's scary. So what I, when I was in my prime, it was like <laughs> I like you do the quotes. Yeah. When I was in my prime, <laughs> I would go out and just scare the shit out of myself immediately. Like, let's go blow these turns in the first session. Like, let's just go see what that limit is. But it's easier to do on like a six hundred than it is a superbike, obviously, because you're going maybe twenty mile an hour slower or faster. But yeah, I would just go in there and I would outbreak myself. And I would break, 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 break. Okay, not gonna make it. I'd stand it up, okay. Well, that brake marker is just a little too deep. And then I would just back it up a little bit. And then once you've already scared yourself, then it's like, all right, on to the next one. What a fascinating idea to be like a little bit psychotic and analytical at the same time. Because you have to, there's, there's got to be something between your ears that you have to get past. Because I always tell people during our track days, especially the ones that want to go group B, group A, and want to be faster. It's like, you, you, you've got to get out of your own way. And the hardest part of track days, and I imagine racing thousand times more so is the space between your ears right you have to you're constantly battling your your fight or flight and telling yourself i can do more yeah because at the end of a track day this fat ass sitting next to you right now like on a group a ride which is fairly quick i'm tired i'm exhausted and it's not physical i'm just tired because i've been battling myself all day long mentally fatigued it's totally absolutely so like for me to you know on on at pir you know for me to break into the 115s, 116s, that's next level shit for me. Whereas like you guys do it just like by, because you've had so much practice. On our outlap. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You're even like your your tires aren't heat, even holding heat. But for me, it's like, all right, how do I go from 116 to 115? And it's exactly what you said, but it's like, it's all in my in my mind. And I have to convince myself to not squeeze that brake 
at that break marker and, you know, wait a little bit longer, squeeze a little bit harder. I mean, it's nothing more humbling to go my fastest lap and then have Jensen coming on the inside. And to me, it's like, oh my God, he's going to, how's he going to make it? And he makes it. It's like, oh wow, there's so much, so much left. Yeah, what am I doing? What the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a, I feel like as a coach, I wonder if most of your job is just telling people to get the fuck out of their own way. Absolutely. I mean, you have to break through that barrier that's in your head. It's a mental thing for sure. Um, the way I can say it down at the Texas Tornado Boot Camp, it's flat track style school. Everyone wants to back it in. <laughs> Show me how to back it in. Like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to stomp on the rear brake. I'm going to back it in. No, 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 no. Backing it in is a product of going faster. You know, like, Sure, the fast guys, we can go in there and we can huck it in there sideways, but that's because we know how to do it. But it's also because we're charging into the corner so fast and that's the only way to scrub speed to make the corner. And so, when we try to tell people that, it's it's a slow build, you know. People have to be able to trust the bike and the grip and the conditions and right. all that stuff. But as soon as you start charging the corner entry a little bit faster and you start grabbing those downshifts... All of a sudden, you're back in it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, it's a product of going faster. It's not something like, show me how to do it. So it is a it is a process that is um, baby steps over and over and over again. I mean, our our motocross track days have C group, which is classroom session that that is immediately followed by actual like go out there and ride it. And so many people that come to us. It's funny when you're talking about the backing it in group because we have the whole I want to put my knee on the ground group. Well, that takes a minute. You can't just do it immediately. So one of my favorite things is to, you know, have, we usually have a photographer there, which A, wants to make you look good, but B, it's really good as a new rider to see what you look like. Because a lot of times I remember as a new track rider being like, man, I was way off the bike and I was leaning over and somebody shows you a picture. You're like, Jesus Christ, that thing was upright. Yeah. And I'm not even close to I'm off not the even bike. leaning off. Right, not, yeah. even, not even like a little bit. In fact, my head's like crossed over the other way. And so, you know, seeing those things, it's these little baby steps and it takes so much patience to tell somebody to be like, just take a deep breath. Yeah. Put your ego out of this. Let's teach you how to ride properly. Well, that's also why that camp is four days. Because the first two days, you're still trying to figure it out. Right. Usually all the light bulbs start flickering on the third day. Hmm. And that's when it's like, all right, you're, you're figuring it out finally. And it's just repetition. And you got to be willing to hit the deck a couple times. I mean... How do you find the limit without finding the limit? Right. So, when I first started going to the Texas Tornado Boot Camp, I was the big crasher, man. <laughs> I would go out first thing. Let me show you guys how freaking fast I am. <laughs> and I would throw the thing in there sideways, grab a big old handful, and it would just high side the shit out of oh, me. God. And, you know, I was pretty good at getting the raspberries on the first day. And then it's from there, it's all toning it back and smoothing it out. Because sometimes, really, you just got to slow down to go fast if you're trying too hard. Right. Slow's fast, right, Jensen? I wouldn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, tell me how you got involved with the Texas Tornado Boot Camp. Because obviously, that's that's Colin Edwards' deal down in down in Texas. Down in Texas. Um. So one of the instructors there is Shay Fochek, a kid I used to race AMA Supersport with back in the day, mm. and then. Um, Obviously, Colin, Colin was kind of like a hero for me. Like, my dad took me to Laguna Seca in 1995. I was like 10. 
And uh, we were from Texas at the time, and he was from Texas, so we were rooting for the Texas boy. Got his autograph, took a picture with him. Well, then when he started the camp, you know, Arkansas and Texas touch, and I'm like, I've got to get down there and ride with you guys sometime because I actually got to go to Kenny Roberts Ranch a long time ago and mm. ride mini bikes, and training on mini bikes is Did the best. Did he show you the blowjob machine? Negative. Oh, you didn't see the blowjob machine. Kenny you- Sr. or Kenny Jr.? Kenny Sr. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Heard a lot about goats and stuff while I was up there. <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, you totally sidetracked me on that Sorry. one. <laughs> Just welcome to Brav Talk. But yeah, if you've been I, to Kenny's ranch and you haven't seen the blowjob machine, I'm not sure you've been. You need to go back. <laughs> He's got a sweet setup, though. He's got yeah. a sweet setup. We were definitely focused on other things. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how old were you at the Kenny's? Uh, uh I was riding 250 Grand Prix, so whenever AMA still had 252 strokes on the grid, I was still in high school. Oh, that's why he hasn't seen the blowjob. Machine. 17 years old. That old things are probably not either. <laughs> I'm just trying to give it a reason. It may not have been invented yet. <laughs> uh, that's true. It may have not been around yet. <laughs> I was down there when Curtis and Kenny Jr. were still riding. Okay. Kenny Jr. was the world champ, so yeah. that was a long time ago. So, anyways, you made your way to a... <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, Texas. The meanwhile, back in Texas... Uh, <laughs> Still, still in puberty. <laughs> they basically let me come down as a guest instructor. And, um, you know, they like to drink a few beers and so do I sometimes. So, I think they got a kick out of having me down there. And then they had a little incident with another one of their instructors and they basically couldn't use him anymore. And they ended up hiring uh, two instructors to fill that one spot. And it was me and Jake Johnson. Mm-hmm. Jake Johnson's a two-time Grand National Flat Track champion. And so... We had never really ridden together. I had met Jake a few times because he was a Suzuki-sponsored rider, and so was I back in the day. And um, So we all showed up and just kind of had a real good vibe between all the instructors and basically kind of started doing them almost full-time since like 2014. And uh, it's just a cool place. I really like going down there, mostly because I'm selfish and I really like the dirt and I like to ride. I turn a lot of laps. But uh, I've slowly figured out it's kind of neat because I showed up crashing all the time. I had to figure that place out. It took me a long time to figure that place out, to figure Mm -hmm. out how to go fast because they do super pole at the end of the day where we link all the tracks together to make one lap and you go go one at a time. So, everyone's watching you. No big deal. Everyone's just watching. Yeah. And you don't think, oh, it's mini bikes. No pressure. And then you get up on that line and you're freaking the frick out, man. And it's like, okay. (laughs) And I remember the very first time I did it, they also like to play tricks like turn your gas off right before you go up there. (laughs) And so, my very first Super Bowl, they turned the gas off and I was on a heater and uh, so I'm just like, what the hell? You know, the thing's out of gas. And they're like, come back, come back, you know. And so turn the gas on. I come back. I restart. I go out. Boom. I fall down. I get up in a hurry. I take off. Boom. I crash in the next corner. So I fall in two consecutive corners. They just totally <laughs> spun me out. Just like, and I was boom, like bottom of the list. Just like, God, you guys totally <laughs> fucked me today. But um, they taught you a lesson. More and more I went. <laughs> the better I got and I really don't crash that much when I go there now. Like I've kind of figured the dirt out. I know what body position I need to be in to save these crazy slides I do sometimes and and I've won a bunch of Super Bowls and it's like 
because I've gone through that crazy learning curve myself, it's really easy for me to see where people are at when they get there and be able to tell them, just, you know, stick with it. I was washing the dirt out of my wounds too when I first got here. <laughs> but just try this. You know, it's usually it's, if it's, a, it's hard when someone's like new to it to get them to break through that whole comfort zone, got to push hard enough to start sliding the bike around. But when I have racers come and they don't have a lot of dirt experience, it's, it's easy for me to kind of help guide them because they already know where to sit and what to do. They just don't quite know how to put all the pieces together. Hmm. And so I relate to those guys easier than someone that just came and this is their first time in the dirt. Cause like, what do you tell them? Yeah. You just, What's the what's the range of skills that you see coming through that camp? Because I could see, I could see like rather novice riders being like, "Weekend with Colin Edwards, let's do that. That sounds cool. Riding bikes, shooting guns." And I could see, I mean, we 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 do see MotoGP riders and stuff coming down to the camp, and exactly, you know, that's a that's Um, a that's a wide gamut right there. Yeah, if you're down there around the Coda GP, Mm -hmm. you've got Moto Three guys there. You'll get a Spargo will show up. And then you've got like grandma over here that just wants to learn how to ride a motorcycle and didn't even know what which lever does what. But by the end of the weekend, I've seen grandma popping wheelies. Okay. So it's like, it's neat to see people's progress that have never even ridden motorcycles before. Huh. And it's also neat to see someone like Alace show up and ride a full-on stalker. And you think, so the instructors have big bore kits. And it's mm. mostly so we can catch people if someone is sure. pretty fast. Yeah. Sure. No, we're cheating. <laughs> so if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's and so right. You, you just kind of think, well, I got a cheater motor, so I'm going to spank old Alesh when he shows up. And then Alesh figures it out in like three laps. You're like, no, this you're is like, a fucking professional. Dude, I've been here for three days and have the place dialed and you show up and you're already faster than me. Like, <laughs> get out of here. You were telling us before the show that you used to live with Alesh. What, what's, tell us that story and, and what the... Spargo brothers are all about. Uh, 2003, I got to race in the Spanish championship. Um, this kind of goes back to the Kenny thing. Kenny helped me when I was riding 250s a little bit. I got to go out and train with them at their ranch. And then he basically asked me, I'm owed a favor in Spain. Do you want to go race in the Spanish championship next year? I was like, well, hard hell, to say no to that. Hell yeah, of course I do. How I, old were you at the time? Uh, this was 2003. I graduated in 02, so I'm like 18. Wow. And, uh, so yeah, hell yeah. I went over, um, the team I rode for was Repsol Honda. Hmm. It was, uh, sponsored by a big school over there. They have like a mechanic school called Monlao. Monlao Competition, if I say it right, whatever. But, uh, it's like a college for kids to learn how to work on motorcycles. Like our MMI. Yeah. But then... But like higher level. But it goes deeper. Yeah. yeah. They start taking them to the Spanish championship races. And then if, if you're pretty good, which in fact, the guy that I worked with is now a Suzuki MotoGP mechanic. He works with Renz. And it's cool to see those guys because I'm like, hey, that was my mechanic when I was in Spain. <laughs> so anyway, um, 2003, I got to go to Spain. I lived over there for three months and they do a big break in August. No racing. And then you come back over and I lived over there for another three months. Um, Aleish was my teammate, but he was on a 125. I was riding a 600. Um, and then his little brother, Paul was in a lesser series, but also on a 125. And, uh, I already knew Aleish was fast cause we'd go to 
you know, we'd have private tests at certain tracks. And so we're all on the track at the same time. Um, my teammates on 600s was uh, Chavi Ferez, who's a world superbike guy, BSB now. I think he's Peter Hickman's teammate now. Mm. And then uh, this other kid, uh, Victor Carrasco, who's, I don't know where he went, ended up going. But uh, Aleish would be out there on his 125 too when we're out on the track. And the little shit was usually faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> it just drive me crazy. Like, But then when I came back and I ended up, they just said, well, why don't you just live with us? Um, because when you go to the track, we need to go to the track too. And it's just easier. And so... Yeah, I lived with those kids and uh, they would take us supermoto riding and stuff. And me being a dirt tracker before I was a road racer, we'd go to supermoto and I was like, well, I'm going to kick these kids' asses today. <laughs> and it was totally the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Paul was so little, they had to hold the bike and he would just climb on it. Like these two <laughs> kids had DR650s, which is like super weird for a sure. supermoto super yeah. bike, but yeah. like. They had DR650s that were lowered and then the seats were all cut out of them. Huh. And so, Paul's dad would hold the bike and Paul would climb up on this thing and take off. This is a 10-year-old riding a 650 <laughs> and I'd ride their other bike that Alaysh was riding or whatever and obviously, it was sprung for them. You know, they had the suspension for them and I'd get on it and it's too heavy and it's chattering and stuff but I could not hang with Paul. I'm 18 years old and this kid is 10 and I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> and uh, I remember somebody gave me a YZ450 or something to ride that day that was set up for a bigger person and I could actually hang, which is still nothing to brag about because those kids are on shit boxes. But pretty crazy. I mean, that's that's why those kids are so fast. They, they raise them the right way over there. Sure. I think the whole, the whole culture of there is so different than what we have here. When I got to go to the, the Valencia GP in 2017, right as we were leaving, there was a group of like, I don't know, a dozen or so, these little kids, they couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old, but they're just in full leathers, the whole nine yards, and they were going to the little outer track, practicing, you know, on these tiny little race bikes, and it's like, oh, this is what they do here. Yeah, like, we started like going to the, the little local go-kart tracks and watching Paul race, and you know like you said they're little kids and these little full sets of leathers yeah. and but they were riding like metricit 80s or something and it had like a five-speed gearbox disc brakes and i don't know if you've been over there but the go-kart tracks over there are dope and so these kids are learning how to drag their knees use the brakes shift the shift the gears use yeah. the clutch and then they get graduated to a 125 and they're riding Grand Prix tracks mm -hmm. at the age of 10. So you said it from the beginning. You have to be comfortable on a motorcycle. And what better way to get comfortable on a motorcycle than a kid who's just getting this information downloaded? It's, uh, with, I mean, just learning how to be comfortable at that age makes it where when you're in your late teens and 20s, you become a GP rider. Muscle memory. Yeah, I mean, just, when, you, when you ingrain it at that age, then it's like they take it to the next level early that's yeah, just super crazy early. yeah i mean i went over and got humbled for sure hmm. but the 600 i was riding i rode a cbr 600 f4i wow nice. and it was the same year that the 600 rr came out well my teammates were on the rrs and i was on last year's bike and so that thing sucked 
it was fast, but the chassis was terrible. I mean, when you look at those two bikes, those things are not even comparable. Mm-hmm. But like my best finish over there was in the rain at Jerez. I got like a seventh, but I was normally finishing outside the points. So I was pretty much praying for rain all the time. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the great well, equalizer. What's wrong with you and rain? Are you okay over there? Do you not have a good problem track with the rain? Yeah, not a good track record. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's. I could see how like an experience like that could go both ways. Where like mentally, it could be demoralizing to just get your ass kicked over and over and over again each weekend. But then there's also like the old adage of like you know if you want to get faster, race with people that are faster than you. You know how do you how do you level that? I learned a lot while I was over there. Yeah, and like you say, it's it's humbling. It sucked to get my butt kicked every weekend, but. I took a little bit from every weekend and I slowly got a little bit faster as the season went on. And it was my first taste of like running a true qualifying tire and stuff like that, that Mm. only lasts barely a lap. Um, And anytime they'd give me, you know, throw me a bone like that, I would usually do okay. So I learned a lot. It was a good experience. And then I came back to the States and jumped on a 1000 and that just kind of started my whole big bike experience hmm. but from what i learned racing with those dudes over there when i came back to the states and was racing some of the guys in superbike which were you know more or less the back markers because it was a pretty stacked field back then but if you could break the top 20 you were doing all right mm-hmm. you know i was racing with grown-ass men as a 19 year old on a 1000 but it wasn't that scary because i raced in spain against way faster dudes <laughs> yeah who are, your, who are your picks now for the 20, uh, 21 season for MotoGP? Man, that's tough because like... Obviously not Vinales. Yeah. <laughs> never been a huge fan. I've been really stoked to see Aleish, man. It's like I got I to gotta root for those kids because I've watched them grow into factory MotoGP riders, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. And it sucks to see Paul having such struggles on that Honda, but I don't see anybody really doing well on that Honda. I'm sure that he's a little bummed that he left that KTM gig. <laughs> yeah. But as a Spanish rider to ride for Repsol Honda, that's sure. like... You're getting a Repsol Honda paycheck. Yeah, that's the, whole, the, the deal, whole man. Like, yeah. And Paul's not slow. I'm sure that he'll get another offer if the Repsol thing doesn't work out. But um, it's been really cool to see Aleish finally get to show that he is capable of being in that class. You know, the Aprilia is definitely taking a huge step and he's taking a huge step and... You know, he's super dedicated to the sport because he's a, he was a big kid and he's turned into a little cyclist string bean, you know, like. It's a little worrying. Yeah. But that's maybe what he needs to takes. get off the bicycle a little bit. Right. But that's. Get it on the Jensen program. <laughs> maybe give that Aprilia a some traction. Yeah. Yeah. He needs some more rear grip. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Fabio's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that Yamaha's a good consistent motorcycle compared to like a Ducati or something. But it's, you know, you get these other guys like Miguel Oliveira on a KTM, like, well, I don't I mean, know. He married his stepsister. That's weird. Is that not weird? Am I the only one that thinks that's weird? Wait, are they, but like, do they share a parent at all? Or is it like a stepsister that came into his life? Uh, her mom. I'm just trying to see how weird And this his is. dad got married when they were really like, not teenagers, but youngish. Okay. And and now they, they actually just announced that they're having a kid. Yeah, so you know they're doing it. 
That's some Game of Thrones <laughs> shit, man. I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you fed me two beers, so I'm yeah, going to say I it. Did. <laughs> and I didn't feed you dinner. Welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Have an IPA, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's like it's cool because like Jorge Martin, who'd have thought that guy was going to come back from his accident and just mm-hmm. go out and dominate at mm-hmm. Austria? It's just the guys that you think are going to do well. It's a crapshoot, man. MotoGP is awesome. What do you think it's going to take to to have a next like American champion? You know, like we've got some riders in Moto Two now. Cameron's finally finally gone over after a lot of pushing. Um, it, is America too focused on other sports or to have that infrastructure to get the kids on bikes when they're young and, and bring them up? Or I don't how think do you so. See, how do you see the talent versus the the two continents? Well, the states is finally getting on board with the whole learn on the little bikes on go kart tracks. The ovale scene is is finally creating a whole new crop of potential road racers, Mm -hmm. which is what Spain and Italy have probably been doing for decades. Um, I think the infrastructure is there. I mean, we're seeing Garrett Gerloff do pretty good in World Mm -hmm. Superbike. You know, Cameron's definitely not on the best team in Moto2, and he's still showing signs of brilliance. And obviously, we know how capable he is when he has the right bike under him. Joe Roberts is on a really good team. It'd be nice to see him. He's doing, he's not doing bad. He's not doing bad, but it would be nice to see him lock down that podium. But um, honestly, I think it's just getting these rising talents over there sooner. Yeah. I think that was the thing with Cameron. Because, yeah. Because we talked sh- about him going over, gone for like over a there a long time ago. And he I was mean, over there. He was in Red Bull Rookie Cup. Right. And so. I'm sure when he did Red Bull Rookies and he came back to the States, that's why he was so good because he went over there and raced Marquez and all those guys, you know? Mm -hmm. When I first saw him on a 600, I was like, oh, who the hell is this guy? This is not good because this is another guy that's going to take a spot from me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always the youth. You got to watch out for the youth. So, I mean, there's definitely young kids. You just got to spot them early enough and send them over there and a lot of times that's hard if the if the family doesn't come from money or you don't have the right sponsors or whatever. Racing costs so much money. I don't know what you're talking about. My racing's been super <laughs> affordable. <laughs> Just paid eight thousand dollars for a new shoulder. That's it. See, it's not that much. It's only eight thousand dollars. Could have been eighty. I think it side. was eighty before the insurance <laughs> right. kicked in. <laughs> um. Talk to me about rivalries. I, I, so my entire recovery from my shoulder surgery was sitting on that couch watching the Formula One documentary on Netflix, which is fantastic, by the way. And I think they're making one for MotoGP. I think I heard that somewhere. That would be amazing. Yep. Yep. Which would be great. Um, but, it, you know, the, the one of the things they touched in that that kind of reminded me of like my own personal motivations is the importance of having a rival. Whether you like create that yourself or if you actually find one have you ever had a rival through your racing career so that one person like i gotta beat this asshole because they're an asshole or they're the mark they're my teammate gotta beat your teammate talk to me about that a bit so when i finally came to the point where i wanted to go racing um my dad knew that we should go flat track racing first 
Um, Cause that's where you learn all your bike handling skills. If you're comfortable with the thing sliding around on the dirt, then you know what it's going to do when you do it on the pavement. So the kid I grew up racing in my area was Danny Eslick. <laughs> like <laughs> I went to the racetrack and I saw this kid holding it wide open, riding it sideways. And I was like, Oh my God, that's what I got to do to win. <laughs> like the 80 class or the 125 class. So like, I was fortunate enough that my dad worked hard. I mean, he's a blue-collar guy, iron worker, welder, worked hard, but he always had me on good equipment. Mm -hmm. And so, I beat Danny. When I finally started figuring it out, I beat Danny quite a bit. Not so much because I was more talented than him, but because I had good, reliable equipment and I knew how to ride it. Your whole he, program was more developed. A little bit, yeah. That yeah. kid, he would just show up and he would just ride whatever was there for him to ride. And I still had to battle him for it, you know? Like, he'd be riding some air-cooled, zebra-striped Kawasaki two-stroke and I'd be on my... DR650. Yeah, who knows what Danny would be riding. But you couldn't ever count him out, you know? Sure. And so, um, we took that... But we became friends, too, at the same time because, like... I don't know. We were both close to the same age. We were seeing each other almost every weekend. So, we just kind of started hanging out and riding dirt bikes and stuff too. So, we were friends. We weren't really huge rivals, but we raced each other hard all the time. I don't think you have to have animosity to have a rival. True. And you know. he, So, yeah. He was like, definitely I like, will die before I let Hannah beat me. Doesn't mean <laughs> I don't like the rappy little stepsister. <laughs> Well, there's it's good to have that friendship off the track, but yeah, when when the helmet goes on and you're on the racetrack, there's there's no friends. Hmm. But at the same time, he's my buddy. I'm not going to go in there and knock him down, but sure. I definitely want to beat his ass. So that's the first name you're looking on the qualifying timesheet. What time did he get? <laughs> yeah, and like he's probably one of the most talented riders, I, just naturally talented mm -hmm. riders I've ever seen. Because mm -hmm. like I had to work kind of hard to just be there and then i'd watch some of the stuff that he'd do it's like golly how do you even do that but he's also a great story of and i think i'm thinking of andrea Inone while i say this a great story of natural talent isn't enough to, to succeed true yeah all the pieces to the puzzle gotta be there you know and but he he's had a great career no for sure i mean right? he's still racing he's flat tracking now but like i don't know how many championships he won and how many races he won and like i still don't have a national win you know it's just i've gotten second he, a bunch he's won of some daytona 200s too uh, yeah <laughs> tell me about it <laughs> tell me about it so yeah there's that um but like because we were friends i never really considered him a rival mm. There was other guys that I rode with and I was like, oh my God, I want to beat this guy so bad. And it was usually people that had like a better ride or if when you're on track with somebody and they have a better motorcycle, but you catch them in certain places, it makes you think that like, I'm a better rider. If I just had that bike, I I'd, deserve that. You don't. I'd be smoking that guy. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess it's always the next young kid that comes up that's on something fast it's like i gotta beat this kid i gotta beat this kid every single time hmm. and usually doesn't work but 
I definitely wanted it. And then if you have like a run-in with that guy on the racetrack, then it just fuels the fire even more. Sure. Absolutely. Shaheen, who are your rivals? You know, it's just me. Who do you, who do you wake up every morning to beat? Oh, other dealerships. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally every every month I'm looking at who's doing what and where they're at. How are they doing it? How can I do it better? Um, but for me, I have a whole team that I get to sort of sell on the idea of that. And Brappy Little Sister is one of them. And man, I love having her comp- like competitive nature because she like gets in there, puts on her shoelaces and ready to just rip everyone's head off. <laughs> she does a really good job of it. I'm super, super proud of her. Um, I'm more interested in like some bagger racing, to be honest with you. Oh yeah, tell me about that stupidness. <laughs> now that I've like I've been banned from from ever going to like a Moto America race ever again, it's crazy. I mean, now that I'm older and I'm not really doing Moto America or road racing as serious as I used to, I'm I'm kind of into riding shit that's not meant to go fast. <laughs> Shitty bikes fast. Yeah, <laughs> there's something there's something incredibly fun, and I would say the same thing about. That that zero you had, I had one for a while. They let me have one for a few months, and it was a lot of fun to ride fast because it's such a piece of shit. And you just like, there's something very enjoyable about doing that versus getting on something like, oh, this has got the horsepower, the chassis, it's all dialed in. You're like, yeah, you're supposed to go fast. Yeah, somebody engineered like that Ducati V4R to be a Ducati V4R. Yeah, but you get on an Indian on a track. And just do just every time I watch one of those races, I especially as someone who worked at a Harley dealership, and you know we've ridden uh, clearly they're not stock at all in any way, shape, or form, but it's still a giant piece of metal flying down that track. Yeah, how much does your bike weigh? The Settlement guys, they brought that Harley down to like five hundred and thirty pounds. That's impressive. That's amazing. Considering they start around nine hundred, that's, that's amazing. They said they shaved like seven pounds off the wiring harness. <laughs> Well, I guess it doesn't have a touchscreen on it anymore, does it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they spent a lot of time just, just making the thing light. Can you imagine doing that to like a stock? Just go and buy yourself a Harley Road Glide. Be like, all right, let's make this thing nearly half of its original weight. Take a third of it off of this thing and make it go faster. That would be hilarious. You'll end up with a big pile of stuff. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Then that's the guy that, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm wondering how many people are doing this now. Where they're doing this and then going out to like Multnomah Drive and not Multnomah, Mulholland Drive. Well, I've been in Portland for too long. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> uh, Mulholland Drive and just like going out there and dragging me on their Harley Davidson, just be like, yeah, bagger series. Suck it. Yeah. I mean, I relate it to people when they ask, what's it like riding those things? It's like, it's like riding a 600 pound mini bike. <laughs> you know, when we ride mini bikes in the dirt, they're not the best handling, they're definitely not the fastest. They really don't do anything well. You just got to ride the shit out of it. And so, when you're on that bagger, it's like this thing's 10 feet long. It weighs 600 pounds. It doesn't really do anything well. You just got to ride the shit out of it. But it doesn't really have enough power to high side you. It definitely barely has enough power to pull the front wheel off the ground. So, it's really just flogging it. What kind of power are you guys making out of your... It depends on what kit you're running in the motor um we run like a 126 inch cubic inch kit and the one i'm riding but like the fast ones are the 131s but it's just however long you want that fuse to be sure 
They're all <laughs> they're all ticking time bombs. Basically, I was say, how many how many motors are you going through in a season? Exactly. And so they went with a little less power, but a lot lighter bike. Um, when we did the Bagger Racing Week event at Utah, uh, it came down to Ben Bostrom, me, uh, Jake Johnson, and Shane Narbone uh, for the last podium spot. And so there was quite a quite a bit of difference in the bikes there. My bike was the lightest. Bostrom had more motor. Narbonne had a turbo. What? <laughs> and it was Jake's first time road racing, really. Uh, he had a bigger motor, too, but you just got to hand it to the guy that, that was his first road race, really. And um, I ended up sniping Bostrom with two corners to go on the last lap uh. just because I think I had a little better brakes and I didn't have quite the mass to stop going into the last heavy braking zone so and he's old he's so old i wanted it more than he did there was five hundred dollars on the line (laughs) god the shit you'll do for five hundred dollars hey man 20 bucks is 20 bucks hey what do you do i i I can't even imagine going at the pace you guys are going and just grabbing that the binders and going all right you fucker you better slow down (laughs) i tell you what some of the best brakes i've ever used are on that bagger really (laughs) I mean, they're they better be. They're like, yeah, <laughs> well, kind of have to be, but yeah, super full super bike Brembo's, you know, the nicest of the nice. And it's like, why couldn't I have this on my super bike back right? in the day? On the actual super bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I am fully amused with the Bagger series. I know Jensen rips on it all the time, but I just, I love that it's brought some entertainment back to motorcycle racing. And, you know, we've had lots of love letters in our in our Instagram uh, DMs and our, G, uh, you know, Gmail account that people are like, give it a better, you know, you got to give it a chance. It's entertaining. You know, I mean, you look at like, you know, you go to Sturgis or you go to Daytona Bike Week. What do you see? And you're right. You see a lot of baggers, you know. And so it, it relates to the people that are buying a lot of these American uh, quote unquote touring bikes. So I get it, and but I, as just someone who I don't really have a horse in that race, it's still fun to watch it. A to be like, oh, cool! It's our buddy racing it, but at the same time, it's like that's super entertaining. It's it's really obnoxious. It's got no reason for it, which is part of the fun for me. There's no real reason for the fucking thing. I'm just impressed at like how quickly they have gone from dragging everything and not being able to stop to now like. We're getting some pretty good lean angle out of them and they're getting pretty fast all of a sudden. Like we went to Laguna the very first time. I think my fastest lap was like a minute 38 or no, minute 45. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not that fast. Yeah. And then uh, I came back this year. My Harley wasn't running right. It had a bad coil. So the thing would get hot and it would start blubbering and sputtering and not even running good. But then I, I was doing minute 38s. Wow. So I was going however many seconds faster on a poorly running Harley as opposed to the year before I was riding the piss out of that thing and going seven seconds slower. So they're getting the ground clearance now. The bikes are getting better. Like the development curve, that's what's neat is to just see these things transforming into something that can actually go around the corner now. Yeah. I mean, soon you're going to start building like dedicated chassis, like a twin spar aluminum frame. And then you maybe start thinking about liquid cooling and maybe, maybe V twin engine isn't the right way. Maybe we start putting like an inline four in there. And, <laughs> and, and then you'll have a 1981 <laughs> Kawasaki Concourse. <laughs> Ta da. Yeah. I think BMW with their newest uh, bagger should, def- the, what is it called? The, the, 
The R18B. No. The, the transcontinental? One. The transcontinental, yeah. The dresser? That one. Just go full on racer with that thing. I think the rules say it has to be uh, American, doesn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. got to be a Harley or Indian. What? It's There's convenient. a lot of gold wingers out there wishing they could sign up. Well, gold wing's gold got wing. some hustle too. Yeah, it's got a lot of hustle. I believe too. it. I mean, I believe it. As think- someone who's had the pleasure of being a passenger on a very, very, very hidden episode of Brap Talk, <laughs> I think it's got some hustle to it. <laughs> Did that actually happen? Yeah. We recorded it. We recorded it. What the hell? It's in a vault somewhere. It's like, it's in the... Whatever Shaheen wants to edit the video. Yeah, us diehards want to hear that, man. We actually did it twice. We did do it twice. <laughs> we did it once. We did the entire ride, like an hour I'd plus. I'd love to see you two on a And it didn't wing. record any of it, so we did it all over again, another hour of it. Yeah. I I think it's one of the only times... It's actually the only time I've been on the back of a motorcycle for that long. And I had a great time. I enjoyed every second of it. It's got Com- heated comfortable. Seat. Dude, that Goldwing... Holy shit. I could be a passenger all day long. I would love to do a cross-country trip with just two buddies like, all right, let's take turns. Take turns. Take the video. You ride this day. I I think it would be such a great like buddy trip. Like Dumb and Dumber, but with class. (laughs) You up for it? Nope. Come on. Nope. You know how I feel about that. (laughs) You know? I'm not saying go fast. I'm just saying go like enjoy the world. You know, ride from here to San Diego. Do the A1A, take some pictures. You guys could get matching facial hairs yeah i'll do the i'll do the mustache thing do the do the dead caterpillar <laughs> yeah i'm into those things anyways all that to say i don't think the gold wing is the right one i think it should at least be a twin but then would you know maybe open up the you know the to the yamaha to the kawasaki that's uh, right yamaha's got the uh what's something thing star called? some kind of a star no what's it called it's not called a star no they 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 did a weird thing with the star name. Oh, oh it's their stupid thing. Well, I think the problem with those bikes is they don't make any performance parts for them. Where if you... But maybe this is the chance when they start are, entering it. Well, somebody would just have to start building some right. crazy build, Yamaha. I mean, you're just talking about the development curve of what's going on just with the American bike. So if you start start throwing this, uh, the metrics and the Germans in there, be like, hey, they have the bikes. Let them get in here and let them figure it out. Yeah. Well, well, actually, I the Germans I, would have a hard time because that fucking engine sticks out at three feet on each side. The Germans like the vid, the wide motorcycle. Gunza, we'd have to raise the engine at least another meter and a half. Perhaps a Moto Guzzi will do better. Guzzi would be interesting. Yeah. Well, they don't make that obnoxious V-twin anymore. The I forgot what it was called. The something 21. It had a 21-inch front wheel. It was basically a Harley Street Glide. Oh, MX-21. Yeah, MX-21. MGX. I'm, f- I'm fucking it up. It's letters. Yeah, it's Moto Guzzi. I put my laptop basically. down. I'm done. Yeah, I see I'm it. It's on its that. side. It's just sleeping over there, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? I don't know. Do you have any news you want to talk about? All we've done is like just warming up the seat for. Uh, oh, that's right. We're sure going to be here. We're here soon. She must yeah. be lost. It's uh, Portland's a weird city. It's yeah. It's not very laid out very well. She actually probably found like a brewery and is just hanging out. Wait, mm-hmm. does she drink? She seems like way in too too good of a shape to do any kind of alcohol. She's like a two drinks and yeah, got to stop. That girl came to our shop and everybody was like, all right, somebody works out. Jesus, just calm down a little bit. Did you talk about CrossFit the whole time? And thankfully, no, she's not one of those. That's good. That would she be, just kept flexing. That'd be, that'd be an unfollow. She didn't talk about She kept flexing. Yeah. Hey, is the guy only, in the bathroom over there or is it that way? I only follow her on Instagram so I could talk shit about you. <laughs> I've noticed that. I follow her on Instagram so I can see more pictures of your butt. 
<laughs> yeah, where's where's where are these comparison photos? I, I keep waiting to see these pop up. I've and seen they the don't one. Hey, man, you're gonna have to be yeah. patient. You're gonna have to be patient. I got a camera right now. We can make this happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I've a tried. semi-professional photographer. I literally I've been accredited. <laughs> the Brav Talk uh, 2022 uh, calendar. Yeah, I'm into it. I literally tried to do a spread just the other day at Mount Rushmore because she just posted the photo like on the rock wall. And I was like, hey, there's a rock wall right here, but I've got Mount Rushmore in the background. Like, just let me take my shirt off and grab a couple pics. And she's like, no, we're not doing this in front of all these people. I'm like, come on. What? I got to give the people what they want. I know. Are you ashamed of my body? <laughs> it's weird. She has a lot more followers than you. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Like a lot more. I don't know why. I can't imagine why. She's her fat. followers are faster than me because she beat me. She's faster than it you. Definitely is. is she, it, I mean, is she it has hard a world record being like the that. support person in that relationship? I do a lot of supporting. Yeah. yeah, every racer needs an umbrella person, and Corey is very good at holding an umbrella. Umbrella fella, umbrella fella. Ooh, I like that one. It's better That's than pretty good. Umbrella boy or Old umbrella fella. Umbrella I like the umbrella fella. fella. Yeah, yeah. I'm going well, to take that, that one. Use that. This ain't yeah. my first time. Oh, dude. We'll copyright that Corey. will be the last. Corey West 2021. I hold that umbrella at the Ulster. on the umbrella, umbrella fella. Oh, man. Because they'd be like, oh, co- you're going to be the brawly girl for your for your girl. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Umbrella fella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck around. Get it right. I'm going to go put on my short shorts and show you how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> you no. got no other news? I don't think I have any other news. It's been kind of a... Kind of a thing. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Me? Did you bring any topics to the discussion? Did you think this was just going to be all about you? Uh, well, it kind of has been, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know. What do we talk about? Um, do you have any questions for us or Shaheen? Do, would you like to know more about what it's like to live in Iran? That was such a long time ago. <laughs> we got to bring up old shit. <laughs> when do you think you're going to be back on the racetrack? I hope in September. That's uh, not too I'll far. I'll find out next week. I do my follow-up. Like with a uh, with a surgeon, and um, hopefully everything looks good. I mean, I, we I told you about my gardening incident the other night. So I'm really oh, hoping. Hold on, that wasn't a gardening incident. That you you <laughs> bought the world's heaviest pot. <laughs> that thing with half of it filled with dirt weighs roughly eighty pounds. Yeah, it's 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 large. Uh, I really hope and that it's didn't. not that big. I was really told like, okay, so you're gonna wear a sling for the next week, okay? Like, yeah, I like your, you're gonna, your arm's going to be in a sling for the next week, right? You're like, sure, doc. Absolutely, How's doctor. That working out? Did you even get a sling? Yeah, I've been wearing it. Really? Yeah. All right. I remember you had the sling on when you first broke it. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... I remember it because I had to help you wipe your butt. It was weird because I <laughs> remember you being able to do it yourself. <laughs> Fun story. Fun story. Coming out of surgery. We're back to the bidet. I am space balls high off the the anesthesia and they gave me a nerve block it's like my entire arm is dead i can't lift my elbow or my hand so weird i'm already like getting doped out on opiates and uh our buddy our buddy alex taylor drives me home and like gets me situated and i'm just coherent enough where i'm like i should fuck with him (laughs) (laughs) i should be like hey buddy um before you leave do you mind like do you mind like helping me helping me helping me pee I just need you to hold it. I'll do the rest. <laughs> I just I need you to shake it. Just, just wanted to see how far. Yeah, just, just you just shake it for me. Like I just I don't have the motion with my hand. It's the nerve block on the on the hand. That's one of my favorite lines in any movie is in Superbad where he goes, "Come on, babe, this thing's not going to shake itself." I love that so much. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully, hopefully September. Um, if not, maybe I'll drive down to California and race AFM in October. They're at Thunder Hill. 
That's one track I've never been to. Really? Yeah. It's a fun track. You should do it. We'll be teammates. You can come down and be be team Brock Talk with me. What's the what's the stunt double? Yeah. Oh hell yes. If the shoulder didn't feel good, <laughs> we'll, we'll accidentally put my transponder on your bike. It'll work out fine. <laughs> fine. Boy, Jensen got fast. <laughs> and and <laughs> skinny. See, did you lose some weight? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. How come you're not talking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should do one of those um, classic bike um, t- the races that you used to do. What was the last time you there was on that on that Kawasaki that big heavy bike? It was like a multi-person thing. I think you and uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, it was like oh, a KZ400 oh, oh, or something. Yeah, Is that what yeah it was uh, 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 GPZ500. It was the bold, bold Oregon uh, endurance thing with uh, the Sing Four Club. That's right. And I should invite Corey to be one of your yeah, teammates. Yeah, you, you should be one of our ringers. Get That's Corey, up, I get Troy, and you. Yeah. You'd have the entire trifecta of what you need. Yeah. That That'd would be, be an awesome scene. That'd be a good time. Yep. And I'll show up to be the umbrella fella. Umbrella fella. <laughs> saying. Well, as soon as you guys come down to Texas and play in the dirt. I'm dying to come down no, there. I'll come back up to Oregon. As soon as Texas right. is not a terrifying place for me. What's been your favorite your favorite bike to ride? What's the one that like, ooh, that was a good Wait, one. Wait, on the street or on the track? Let's do both. Okay. And then I want to know what's in your garage. Oh, yeah. Oof. Okay. Favorite race bike? Um, probably a GSXR 600 or an R6. You know, when when things are working really good, I'm gonna say the TSE R6 that I rode at Laguna a couple of years ago, 2018. Hmm. It was an older model R6, but we had it set up so well that I just felt like I could do anything on it. Hmm. You know, it just worked perfect. But an R6 is kind of a soulless motorcycle. I'd say the most interesting motorcycle that I got along with as well was the, I rode a Buell 1125 RR wow. Superbike super oh, yeah. before Harley shut Buell down. Uh, it was a wild card deal. I came in, I did the last round in New Jersey in the AMA Superbike stuff. This was 2009. And uh, I got to test the bike at Audubon Country Club in Joliet, Illinois on the north course. They have two courses. I broke the track record unofficially because I was the only one there. And then uh, we took it to New Jersey and like the very first practice session, I was like P5. And this is, Maladin was still out there. Josh Hayes was there. Yates, Tommy Hayden, all those guys. So there I am on this all black Buell sitting P5, hadn't ridden Superbike in however many years. And uh, that motorcycle was like 18 miles an hour down on the front straightaway at Jersey. But I had like the fastest segment one times of the race on saturday so mm-hmm. it handled really well um it had just enough power to scoot around that racetrack and not get totally smoked so how many thing, brake rotors did you go through a lot <laughs> <laughs> well, did that did that bike run the weird zero torsional brake yeah, oh, Jesus. yeah even the sure. race bike and then i ended up racing the ebr 1190s for two years in superbike as well and those were fun, but it seemed like those bikes, the more power you put to it, the just the harder it got yeah. to ride, you know, and uh, brakes were, it worked well when it worked. And then some tracks that were just super heavy braking, you would just smoke those things. Hmm. I or, can only imagine. Yeah. What's it like working with Eric Buell? Um, 
He was he beer? was cool, man. I, <laughs> How many more beers can we put in here? Like my dad used to race him, so oh, really? we oh, had that connection. Like huh. I got to talk to him about some of that stuff, which is cool. Like the dude had been around; he was super smart. Um, but like the weekends that we didn't beat the KTM, he'd be pissed, you know. And I'm like, dude, the KTM's getting pretty good. Like, then our seats doesn't yeah, suck. Yeah, we're gonna have to do something <laughs> to make our bike better, you know. So passionate guy, sure. He was he was fun to be around, but yeah. Took things a little personal sometimes. Well, his name's on the bike. Yeah. Well, you know, when they ask you what what do you want better or what's wrong with this thing is like, <laughs> well, I'm going to not talk about the brake and I'm going to not talk about this. So, yeah. Yeah. It was tough. All right. So, what's your what's your favorite street bike? Uh, I had an SV1000 Suzuki for a long time. So, the, the Diet Coke TLR. Yeah. My dad had a TLS when they first Ooh, came out, yeah, okay. so that's what Which I learned how to do. Pepsi of TLS. <laughs> learned how to do stand-up wheelies on that thing, yeah. and then, and then the when the SV1000 right came out, it was basically the same motor yeah. without the crazy rotary shock and all that yeah. stuff. So like an actual suspension system. So yeah. I bought the naked one and uh, flogged that thing for like twenty thousand miles, and then finally it's got rid of it. How little of the naked, the non-S models you would see. Even back when they were new bikes, you didn't see a whole lot of the. You just don't see a lot of TLS. You see the SV1000. Well, the one with the fairing was. Ugly. ugly so ugly ugly, ugly. Oh, and then they had that same. weird copper color and right. was, they tried to so my local dealer had this sv1000 sitting on the big turntable and it was like hundred dollars off every day until it sells and wow. so i i keep going in there and i keep going in there and it was still there and they had that thing down to like 6300 bucks oh my god yeah so i'm like this is it Fuck i'm it. signing up sign me up let's uh, do the payment thing and uh as soon as i got all approved and we were ready to do it they were like well you'll never believe this but someone just bought it what i was like are you kidding me i've been watching this thing for months wait how does that work if and you so already approved you were buying it well he was already going through the motions before i was Bag of dicks yeah timing dealers. is everything Ugh, dealers man <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears dealers <laughs> so they put me on one of them copper colored uh fairing ones and was like what do you think take that for a ride and i came back i was like i do not want this i don't want it just just go and give me that katana 1000 they found me another one within a couple days and gave me the same price oh wow that's cool yeah all right they made good on it yeah all right take back my previous good dealers (laughs) (laughs) so that that was your favorite street bike yeah that thing was pretty fun i learned a lot farting around on that thing too what's in your garage now so I've got a business. I do guided dual sport rides. So I have a bunch of dual sport bikes, but that's all kind of for my business. Um, what are you running typically? Like, is it a mishmash of bikes, or is there one that you? No, I'm a destination Yamaha rental location. So I've got uh, WR two fifties, an XT two fifty, and a Tanneray seven hundred. Wow! That I rent to people, and then uh, my personal bike that I have now is a Husqvarna seven hundred one. I just Ooh. got one of those. Supermoto Enduro enduro yeah yeah nice yeah uh everything with that instead of the ktm 690 enduro uh because it's white i like white that's racist and um (laughs) so well okay i had all these blue okay so i had all these blue yamahas and i had a 450l honda before the husky and so I'm leading all these Yamahas around on this bright red Honda. Right. And I'm just like, and it's just so clashing. I love that Honda, but it was a full on dirt bike. You know, you ride it for anything longer than about 70 miles and you're like, this seat is terrible and <laughs> this thing is a dirt bike. And so I quickly racked up like 7,000 miles on that thing. 
And being a 450, I was like, I better get rid of this thing and get something fresh. And so I was, I like to just try something different every now and then. Mm-hmm. I had an Africa Twin before the 450L. Did it have dirt tires on it or street tires, Jensen? It had mainly dirt tires on it. Uh, and a real gearbox. So, so it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think the, you, you should go take that DCT for a spin. My chance of lines. The fact that he likes that Hearts DCT blows my mind. Yeah. Because everything about him says not to no to that. And then like when I locked, talked to him about it and he was being general, I'm like, are you being serious? Yeah. As someone okay. that can't ride a motorcycle with a left hand right now, it's coming in real and handy. <laughs> I can't wait for you to start doing push-ups again. That's how, that's how I know you're going to be on the track. You start doing push-ups. Yeah. And that's, drinking less Mountain Dew. That's no such thing. That's weird. <laughs> Every time we do that, it's just a phase. <laughs> it's a phase. I was going through a phase again. It's experimenting. Um, so, yeah, Husky 701 is the route I went there. And then, because um, I already had a Tanneray 700, I was like, I like the Tanneray much more than the Africa Twin, to be honest. Wow. Interesting. Um, but why? It's lighter. It feels like it makes about the same power when you're in the dirt. It it feels lighter when you're rolling. Um, it just so feels as, as more of a dirt machine. It just feels like a big dirt bike when you're in the dirt, and I kind of like that. But mm. then you can get on the highway and run 80, 90 mile an hour. Oh, really? If you need to, yeah. And it feels okay at at at, at that kind of a highway pace. Mm-hmm. Where the the AT man, I'd get that thing in the dirt, and it was just so big and tall and top heavy. I had a couple little tump overs on it, and was like. I get all mad because I just dropped my fourteen thousand dollar dirt bike. Yeah. So. Yeah. Dropping your twenty three thousand dollar dirt bike. So <sighs> yeah, the Tanneray seven hundred was sweet, but I didn't really. I already have one of those as a rental, so why have two? Yeah. And so I was interested in the Husky, the seven hundred one, just to see what the big single felt like. And so far, so good. I got like fifteen hundred miles on it. I like it. Nice. The rental thing, is that something that Yamaha sort of sponsors and helps you get motorcycles or is that something you have to buy every... I got to buy them, but they gave them to me at a discounted rate and then they also advertise for me on their website, Nice, which is nice. That's super nice. That's actually a really cool business idea. I like that a lot. Well, Arkansas is one of those states where people are like, Arkansas? Yeah. I even said that to you when you said it to me in the car. like, Arkansas? Why? Arkansas. And uh, we've got amazing paved roads, but we also have like the state is covered in twice as many dirt roads than there are paved roads. Hmm. And if you can figure out how to navigate them, besides the dirt roads taking you to all the really scenic places that people want to see anyway, mm-hmm. um, there's just no traffic. There's no cops. There's no traffic. There's no rules. There's no speed limit. <laughs> so you can go out there and... perfect. Have a lot of fun and not be running 80, 90 mile an hour like you would on a sport You're selling bike. the Arkansas a lot more than the the Texas Tornado boot camp. Well, I mean. So that idea sounds amazing That's to me. why I live there. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I live in a town of 2,200 people. So, it's a tourist town. So, a lot of people come there in the summertime and stuff. But Wait, tourists come to Arkansas? That's what I mean. It's a secret. We just we just told like five Unless people. Unless you want to come do to Froggy's Moto Tours and come on with it. We've <laughs> <laughs> got the shirt on. Froggy's Moto Tours, cool, awesome. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Froggy Moto Tours, I guess Patricia's on a tour of her own. Not gonna, yeah, not gonna come by. So uh, circling the blocks. It's gonna be a short episode. I feel like, I feel like she's gonna be mad at us later on. Like maybe you gave her the wrong address or something. Yeah, I'm gonna probably just blame Corey on it. Oh but. man, I've had my phone on silent. She's called me like ten Oops. times. Right, row. Well, as usual, 
you know how to reach out to us. How do they reach out to us, Jensen? I'm always the one telling people how to do it. Well, you can email us. That's how, that's that's like the main. That is the. If you got something important to say, you got to send it on an email. You got to email it. This is slot into my DMs, or call tweets, Jensen. and bullshit. I I just no, I just can't. So you got to get on webraptalk at gmail.com. Ah, so don't call you. Don't call me. Definitely don't call me. Okay. Uh, you want to get us on on Instagram? You're gonna hit an at sign. Mm-hmm. We rap talk. No. Fuck. It's the wrong place. <laughs> That's Twitter, isn't it? That is Twitter. <laughs> but if you want to go to Twitter, definitely at We Rap Talk. Hey, just don't tweet us at all. Just no, don't, just don't tweet us. I don't even read the tweets. Just email. Uh, at Rap Talk on Instagram. Rap yep. Talk Motorcycle Podcast on the Facebookers. Uh, leave us a review and rating if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast or some other platform that if allows that. You go to that. Texas and you want to visit Corey and learn how to ride a motorcycle better. Where do they go, Corey? Uh, Colin Edwards, Texas Tornado Boot Camp. And then if you want to go to Arkansas and see the scenic w- way of the whole state. Yeah, you can check out the cool pictures uh Froggy underscore Moto on Instagram. Nice. Or FroggyMoto.com. Nice. Sweet. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, this thanks for totally having me. Impromptu. I feel really special that you finally had me and like I'm like your first guest anyway so third time's charm yeah well maybe fourth <laughs> fourth maybe we did it yeah I don't know. this whole thing started because he needs a rear tire to be replaced I was like what are you doing tonight <laughs> and he looked at me weird I was like well yeah it's gonna that's be a little why sexual. he's scoping out tires in uh-huh. my Pirelli suite <laughs> that's right <Yeah. laughs> digging on your reins you need a rain get to your rain I got a rain I got one too I just shredded it really fast <laughs> <laughs> apparently rains don't do well on dried clay yeah, that's a thing. That is a thing. All right. Go home. Good well, I got to go home. Stay home. <laughs> See you out I'm there. Take Corey home. I'm out of here. Make good choices. Shave your third. Shave your lip. Shave, don't shave your lip. I think it looks beautiful. It's so gross. It's it, so it was, gross. He had a full beard when I, when I saw him I earlier. I cleaned it up just for you. I cleaned it Looking up. At got a child me, I don't want to be weird. I'm like, man, that mustache makes your lips oh, look gross. I just got back from Sturgis. I was like, I need a shit shower and shave. <laughs> looks like you were like, we got to go. <laughs> Get out of Bye. this show. This guy, this escalated rapidly. Oh, yeah, helicopter eat, how many, how many donuts that? do you eat in that time right? frame? Those donuts are terrible. They are terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're so true. There's like a little cafe at the very top of the summit in this like little parking lot area. And that gets famous. <laughs> I'm doing the quote things that no one can see for, for, its, for its donuts. And it's like, truthfully, that's all like they really serve are these stupid donuts. Just fried bread with, with, sugar on it i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and just say the altitude changes the taste <laughs> that's that's what i think happened yeah, to the oxygen yeah. deprivation got it, got it.